0: wanted to talk a bit about Neuralink, which is Elon Musk's effort to develop the, not next generation, but the next, next, next generation of brain-computer interfaces. It's a pretty interesting concept, and there's really a lot to talk about.
1: Well, Elon Musk goes big, for sure. He um, does not play.
0: <laughs> he does not play.
1: He thinks of some fundamental problems or some fundamental places that we want to be in the future and tries to take the big steps to move towards it.
0: Yeah, I think it makes sense with this one after we were, you know, got so deep into the, the details on this one specific approach to maybe start at the end and think about where could this go and then work backwards to how they're going to try to get there. Honestly, how they're trying to get there is not actually that interesting right now. Uh, (laughs) compared to where they want to go, uh, because it is so far away, really, really farther away than any of the other things they're thinking about, I I believe personally, and I think I can justify it.
1: I kind of love the, the approach of going for the end goal, just really thinking of that, what things could look like in the end, just get the smartest people together, start thinking about it, and try to figure out what the, at least for Elon Musk, what the engineering challenges are to getting some of this stuff done and see how you can move it forward.
0: Yes, it's a cool approach. And it's, in some sense, what basic science was supposed to be about till we lost the thread entirely on our funding uh, strategy for, for science research in this country. But, you know, so now you have to have billionaires doing it, but it's cool that at least somebody's doing it.
1: So how do we want to approach this? Because I guess we could describe what the end goal would be, and I think that's been articulated in different places. Yeah, And talk about how feasible that is and what sorts of things it might or might not lead to. So maybe you can talk about your understanding of what the end goal for something like Neuralink would be.
0: My understanding of the end goal is essentially seamless communication between human beings across a completely interconnected network where all human beings are connected through technology directly so your brain is connected to my brain is connected to everybody else's brain and we interface and communicate directly without even having to think in the way that we think now so my raw I don't even know what you'd even call it at that point, but <laughs> it's not even not even a thought. But let's let's use the word thought for the moment. My yeah. thoughts would be directly communicated to you, and your thoughts would be directly communicated to me at the speed of light over over these uh, these technology networks.
1: And uh, what's the difference between this and the Matrix, or is this almost exactly the Matrix?
0: Well, no, it's it different. Depends. It's different. I suppose it's definitely different because, it, or it could be different. You a Matrix is one potential embodiment of because it, it depends on what your interface is, right? If you're, if you're directly connected, if, if I have electrodes planted in my brain that completely represent my neural activity, of my, especially as that take, for example, my cortex, inputs and outputs. So I can receive information through stimulation of electrodes and I can transmit information through recording from electrodes. And it's, it's really representative of how my brain is, is really working. Yeah.
1: Okay, so in in this version would you envision it to be the case that whatever system is recording has a fully a, a full representation of everything that's going on in your brain. So in other words, can map the state of 85 billion neurons and has all of that data that's in the cable coming out of your head. And when it inputs, it can cause any neuron to fire or whatever, whatever change to your brain state it could possibly make.
0: I so think everything, so. I th- the full, th- I think the so, full
1: physical let's go. picture of everything let's
0: go all the way. Let's go all the way. Why stop? Why stop halfway? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Right. Yeah. I mean, we have this technology, of course, does not exist today. We don't have no idea what it would be. But yeah, that, I mean, that's the idea. And then. In, in that world, we're communicating directly. We can, we we could imagine ourselves in a holodeck type situation where you know we're playing tennis together and like you know we ha- because we like to play tennis and and so we I don't actually but imagine we did you know we, we we could imagine ourselves playing a tennis game we could do that or we could you know imagine ourselves conquering the Roman Empire or going to Mars or whatever it is.
1: Unlimited imagination. Anything you can imagine, you can realize.
0: But the key thing that Musk pointed out is that it's probably the case at that level that it's nothing like what you're thinking about now. So it's not like imagination now. You wouldn't need to encode these thoughts in images or words or narratives. It could be even more direct in, in, in some level of free representation that we can't even describe. That's how direct that interaction would be. And at that level, the, the network itself has new emergent properties. There's a new emergent consciousness from those interconnected consciousnesses that is different than what we have today. And it can, cannot be imagined by our present minds, and we have no idea what what it could do. Uh, I think at that point, it becomes really important to think about what would you want it to do? would be good for it to do, and how could it all go horribly wrong?
1: When I'm thinking about this as a fully realized possibility, I think that the way that it's described is impossible. That even if you had the engineering capability to fully understand or fully record every single atom that's going on in your brain, and you had you know enormously powerful signal analyzers, I would make the claim that you cannot use this representation to directly communicate with another person. That the signal coming out is not translatable to another human being, that you can't just link up two people. And here I'm gonna use a quote. (laughs) I'm gonna use a quote, and I think this is applicable even though it probably wasn't intended for this. Only muggles talk of mind reading. The mind is not a book to be opened at will and examined at leisure. Thoughts are not etched on the inside of skulls to be perused by any invader. (laughs) The reason why I feel like this is a realistic issue with this is that the tricky part is not i mean it's it's tricky it's really difficult the engineering part of understanding every, where every atom is but the tricky part here is understanding what experience that relates to what the subjective experience for that person is and this is almost where technology meets some philosophy in philosophical circles this is referred to as the problem of intentionality how do you how do you understand what a particular idea, a particular thought, or a, perce- a particular perception refers to in the external world. And there's something fundamental about, you know, you've got, a, you've got a huge pile of neural signals. Without understanding the personal history, the sensory experiences that led a particular individual to attach meaning to these images and thoughts, It becomes impossible to interpret. We have a natural way of condensing our uh, messy and subjective thoughts and communicating them with other people, and that's language. We're not able to always express precisely what we mean. So I may have a pretty nuanced thought that comes into my head, and I'm limited in bandwidth to, to how I can express it through language. There are only certain words that I can use that I know that are going to be understood in a way. They'll be misinterpreted in some sort of way too. But that's that's the common tool that we have to understand each other. Now what Musk is talking about or what Musk would consider is that we're, we're essentially talking about an entirely different language, that we're talking about the language of mental thought. And I don't think that this is something that can be directly translated from one person to another person.
0: Well, if you I...
1: in in all of these brain in in all, in all in all of these brain systems one of the things that they depend on and we we talked about this before is that you need some sort of input that lets you know what this is referring to. If you're going to try and read someone's thoughts by recording from electrodes You want to see what face that person is seeing at a particular time. So you feed it lots and lots of faces, and they tell you what they're perceiving. And then later on, you can show them an image. And from your brain scan, you can guess what image they're thinking of. You can guess what image they're thinking of even if you don't show them an image, right? So this is how most of these programs work. What Elon Musk eventually, far into the future, is thinking of is directly reading neural signals and trying to understand the thoughts that are being conveyed without any language structure structure that's surrounding it
0: i think that in in the in defense of that way of thinking about the world in this networked neural lace type environment right where everyone is, is connected into this enormous neural network of brains, you're also experiencing everybody else's sensations.
1: If you made a system where you were born into this, yeah. and all of your past experiences fed into this so that you know, your experience included the experience of uh, other people as you were connected to this network, that makes some sort of sense.
0: Yeah, I could, I could that, see that.
1: But then you're talking about biological ethics, where you're moving in the territory of needing to mesh computers and brains together from birth.
0: I think that the, the issues of, of ethics come into play right away. You don't uh, have to yeah. get very deep into this at all. As soon as you get two brains connected to each other, immediately, huge ethical questions come up. Because your individual free will is immediately compromised in a way that is at least quantitatively different than it in is the to-
1: sense that you'd be taking off the any sort of sensor that you've got that you're just right sort of flooding the other person with your experiences and thoughts with no stop.
0: Right. And I, 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 one of the things that occurred to me as we were talking about this, the beginning of this section was what would work and not work about this in the medium term. So one of the things that's really hard right now is to stimulate, say, a particular thought as corresponds to, say, for example, a word. So if I wanted to, to make you think the word computer... With an electrical stimulation, there's no way in which I can do that now. I don't have even a theoretical sense of how to do that. There's no like computer neuron that I can stimulate in your brain that will reliably get you to think
1: Mm -hmm.
0: computer or visualize a computer. I don't even know what that would even be because you get into the idea of a prototype versus specific Mm -hmm. exemplars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. it, It gets super complicated super fast. We have no idea even how to like tractably. Conceptualize the problem, much less attack it. I mean, you have some sense that, it, you know, speech receptive area, maybe put an electrode in there and see what you can get. It's way harder than moving the cursor on the screen. So the input problem is already way harder than the output problem to get, you know, to get started because you have the output, which is the brain computer interface part of basically moving a cursor. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: then you've got the input part. So far, we've got. As, we've, as far as we've gotten so far is like these uh, visual cortical implants that we talked about in the previous episode where you can kind of have an array of uh, light-sensitive elements, like a camera, and that can feed into stimulating different parts of visual cortex, which has that nice spatial arrangement. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of get vague shadows or outlines of images projected onto that V1. Once you get beyond V1, anything co- more complicated than that starts to be the input problem starts to be pretty complex. Pretty
1: yeah, and I think a lot of that is just because individual brains are so idiosyncratic that, you know, at the level of the eye, when we're seeing something directly on our retina, it's fairly clear what the pattern of light is that's going to activate a certain set of neurons. But once you move into the into the brain a little bit, we all have different ways of this being implemented. We, it just gets so mushy and so complicated just a couple layers back, that you know, what, what may cause an input for one person may be totally different than what may cause it for another person.
0: That said, that said, the thought that I had was all right, what might work pretty well? Think about stimulating a more deep brain part. Like, so we already know that, for example, there are treatments for like very, very severe depressions, for example. That stimulating certain parts of the brain can can help with that. Mm-hmm. Imagine if you hooked someone up to your brain, to where you're now emotionally connected to that person, and just think about it, just pure, mm-hmm. like if you imagine just taking one axis of emotion, so like uh, activated versus not activated, sympathetic versus parasympathetic activation. You know, this this really gross um, up and down.
1: So, you can, get hormo- you can get hormones activating together or uh, neurotransmitter yeah. systems activating together. So,
0: yeah, these big, big, I'd say, for example, uh, adrenaline. So, epinephrine, norepinephrine, stimulating like the release of massive amounts of adrenaline. So, like if you got really scared all of a sudden because you saw a tiger, I'm connected to you. I'm over here in San Francisco, Bay Area, El Cerrito. Yeah, I get linked. We're linked. I get scared by this tiger, and there's no tiger here. But you can imagine. Imagine how that would work. That would totally work.
1: I And I think there's something crucial. I I, I think you're on to something here. I think there's something crucial about constructing shared experiences that you could then reactivate again. So if I was thinking of, of the kinds of things that might work with a setup like this... One of the sci-fi ideas that might work as a kind of mind-melding, I guess here's the example that I had thought about. If we share no experiences at all, so in 10,000 AD, I grew up on Mars and you grew up on Earth. We didn't really share a whole lot of experiences. It's going to be difficult to have this neural link between us. We don't even have a common language. We don't have very much that's going to be translatable between us. You know, at the other extreme, if we have the exact identical experience, so from birth being plugged into a virtual reality machine where the same exact things happen to us, then our experiences are going to be fairly translatable. If you've yes. seen everything that I have, then the same kind of input is going to cause the same experience in your brain. You could think of that on just a single experience level. So imagine just for example, you know, we've got our brain recorder recording, you and I are walking through the woods, and we see a deer in the forest, and it comes right next to us. And it's sort of this emotional moment. Now, we've got a reading from your brain a reading from my brain about what the subjective state of that experience is like, we can, we could now translate between us so sharing that kind of experience and you have something that you know when I think of when it when that sort of pattern gets activated in my mind again gets translated and then causes the kind of activation that you had for that same kind of experience so in in that sense I could imagine I think a lot of this kind of technology depends on how translatable an experience you have between one person and another person it's yeah. not going to create, just having all these electrodes isn't going to create a language that allows us to communicate. We, st- we still wouldn't have that language unless we knew what, what was going on in the outside world while these experiences were happening.
0: I think, that, I think, that's, I think that's right. There's some question, I think what, what you're get, driving at, there's some question as to about what's the, what's the limit of what connectedness could be? Uh, in these systems begs the question in my mind right away is what would you want the limit to be? Because I, I believe it's the case that we would not achieve the limits of what is even possible because it would never be desirable to do so. Hmm. And therefore we would not expend the energy. There would be no uh, economic incentive to do so because at the end of the day, I mean, One of the things that comes up in this is ethical questions of connectedness, where in in, in the environment that you're talking about, if you wanted to hurt me, all you would have to do is hurt yourself, and Mm -hmm. I would feel the same pain that you're feeling. So it's very direct in the way that you lose any kind of individual freedom or control. It's literally just non-existent each one of us would be uh, co-creating the other's experiences and and we would entirely lose any sense of of what we may imagine uh, is our own individual freedom and control. Now there's a whole nother series of pods about whether we actually have any to begin with, but we Mm -hmm. certainly wouldn't, wouldn't have any in this environment. So I think then the question becomes, what do you want to do with this thing? So it gets back to the inputs and outputs. You can hook your brain up to a computer right now we can do this already uh if you implant some electrodes into your brain it can read out what your neural activity is and that can have some you can attach that to an effector in the world and it can do something you can have inputs you know for example that we talked about in the visual cortex you can imagine having inputs into the motor cortex as well that could move your body parts ultimately it seems possible though it's Going to be difficult. You could essentially stimulate more complex visual patterns and and also semantic patterns. So, in other words, you could talk to each other uh, through this thing. So, you could imagine any kind of visual and auditory semantic communication potentially possible. And then we could debate whether what the limits are, but imagine whether it could... be the
1: la- whether it be. Uh complex language of thought or whether it's something that needs to be mediated by an existing language already.
0: Correct, correct. So then the question becomes, what about that is in any way useful and or desirable? What would you want to do with this? We know that if you're paralyzed, for example, being able to control your mech with your brain
1: Mm -hmm. is awesome. Your Iron Man suit.
0: Your Iron Man suit. Exactly. That's totally there. You you need that right away. So we're totally doing that.
1: That seems like an easy, an easy ethical question.
0: Yeah, the Iron Man suit is totally there. Everybody wants that. I mean, even even if, even if you're not paralyzed, you want that? You know, if you're not paralyzed, there's probably easier ways to control it in the early stages. But ultimately, the brain interface is the way to go. So that's totally there. But on the communications side, I mean, what? Do we want that? I'm trying to think of a use case where I actually want that.
1: Yeah, I think it's so nice to be able to have a filter as as is. I mean, to be able to control the stream of information that's going on in your brain and and how it gets presented to other people, to have it totally non-private, to just have the anything that pops into your head become Public property seems undesirable in any sort of way. I can't imagine how it really would destroy the sense of an individual right as we that... think of it now. And to the extent that we would value an individual, it would be completely destroyed. I I, I noticed uh, there was a quote by Elon Musk that addressed this a little bit, and I I don't maybe he has updated thoughts on it now. The question was, can you? Would it be possible to read somebody else's thoughts with this if they didn't want you to read their thoughts? And Elon Musk said, People won't be able to read your thoughts. You'd have to will it. If you don't will it, it doesn't happen. Just like if you don't will your mouth to talk, it doesn't.
0: Right. And so you, you would build some, you would build the filters in as part of the system. Of I just, someone, someone could hack it. I mean, it would be so, I mean, right? As soon as you start to have things like artificial filters, then you start thinking about workarounds and hacks and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, and I I just feel like that's a it seems like a a real certainly a real issue and something that wouldn't automatically be addressed. I don't think just to say that you would have to will it is a
0: we don't even know what that means. Right? Cop
1: out, I think. Yeah, we don't even know what that means. Yeah. So that, that doesn't make
0: any sense right now. No, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so you know, in in the in a sort of framework of. Elon Musk's approach of having this really big problem that you're trying to solve that does something good in the, in, the, in the end result in the long run and then has intermediate sort of artifactual consequences that are positive for business in the short run, his long run goal here doesn't really make sense to me. There are some interesting short run potential big wins like the mech suit, the mm-hmm. Iron, Iron Man suit, I'm interested to think a little bit more about what some of these input wins might be. So that's the output wins, the controlling wins. One of the input wins would be obviously for deaf people, for blind people, help them hear, help them see. That seems like a, those, are, those are good wins. Uh, also, the treatment of different um, mental disorders. Mm-hmm. If you can change, this is already all of this stuff is already in the works in varying degrees of success. You know, if you can treat chronic depression, if you can treat schizophrenia, if you could treat Alzheimer's disease, whatever it may be, through neural stimulation, those seem like promising directions as well.
1: So it would seem like a lot of the wins on the input side, okay, if it was before sensory systems, these are things that you could simulate through virtual reality. So right. if you're talking about a visual input, well yeah maybe you could input an image into the brain but the easiest way to to input an actual image and the one with the best way to do it is to just show an actual image because our perceptual right. systems are built around the idea that what we're trying to do is understand the external world
0: that's where the the short term win is for people whose eyes are are broken
1: right and yeah. you can bypass that and you could and that that seems like a realistic, conceivable, short-term win.
0: Yeah, that feels like a win. I mean, cochlear implants already exist. I mean, mm-hmm. this exists for, for for deafness. The cochlea is part of the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have inputs that have a, a receiver uh, in in the outside world that is taking in sound signals and turning it into electrical signals. That's transmitting those through electrodes into tissue uh, that is then turning it into an electrochemical signal that's transmitted throughout the brain. People are hearing and using that that sound information in their everyday lives today. So that, that exists today, which is cool. And One of the
1: things maybe there's some misconception about that I think would not be realistic is the idea of quick learning. Mm-hmm. So if we had a an interface between computers and our brains that what we could do is, oh, I'm going to you know i'm going to france next month so i'm just going to quickly download french right and now i can speak another language or why go to school for technical reasons we can just program this into our mind and this is where i think the answer would be no we cannot this is a misunderstanding that we could do something like this because In order to learn a language, what you really would need to do is fundamentally reorganize neural pathways at a very individual level. So it's not, you know, it's not the same as just changing the input or feeding something in. We're not talking about an interface between a computer and a computer where you put some memory from one computer into another computer. The memory systems of the brain are fundamentally different than the memory systems of a computer. You're talking about connections between neurons whose strength is being increased or decreased in a very distributed way. So we've got billions of neurons, and any particular memory is going to be reflected in strength of a huge network of different neural connections, which is fundamentally different than How we think of memory in computers, which is a particular memory is stored in a particular addressable space. One confusion maybe is from cognitive psychology, where we tend to think of memory as existing somewhat like this. We have a simplified model of the mind that talks about memory as being stored and then retrieved. But on a neural level, it just doesn't work like that. In order to implant a memory in the brain, you need to change the strength of neural connections. Now you're talking about not only being able to read from every neuron in the brain, but being, being able to alter the connections between every single neuron in the brain, which is a totally different thing. And that gets into some really scary ethical issues because you're, you're really, if you even could conceivably do something like that, you would be changing the structure of your brain without any sort of interaction with it. So as you're as you're learning French, you may inadvertently change a lot of other associations that you make. You can't just pick up French without changing all kinds of other parts of your brain inadvertently and, and fundamentally changing the way that you think.
0: That's Is that true. something uh, want? Well, that's true in, in one sense. And in another sense, it's not so different from what we're doing today. So I agree with you that Learning French is not just like downloading the French dictionary into like a piece of your, you know, hard drive in your brain, and then being able to suddenly utilize it. What we have today is, for example, Starkey, which is a hearing aid manufacturer, recently re- released a product they call the um, Livio, IO, uh, Livio AI, Livio AI, which is the first artificial intelligence hearing aid. Is how they're describing it. And basically it's like the babble fish. Babble fish,
1: yeah. That's yeah. Uh, what a what a prescient technology.
0: Yeah, right? Exactly. You stick this thing in your ear and you're hearing in your own language when people are talking in another language. So the person's speaking in French and you're hearing it in English. And, and the,
1: that's cool it's, that it's, it's there is cool.
0: it's fundamentally it, different than speaking French.
1: Yeah, that seems like the way that you want to implement these sorts of things is to have it externally done just like, I mean, in the same way that you you can just talk into your phone in English and have French come out.
0: I think it's a great example of exactly what you're talking about, which is it is not the same as having direct experience of someone's French thought. It, it, it's not even as direct as, as speaking to them in French. It's not the same. It's a translation. Mm-hmm. And that is And no matter how good the translation is, it's always going to be imperfect. It's not exactly right. That's always happening whenever we talk. But it's just more obvious when we're talking about speaking in different languages. Because you can pinpoint some of the the discrepancies or errors. But that's always happening whenever we talk. We're not really communicating exactly what we mean when we talk to each other. So you're you're hearing the words that I'm saying, and they mean something to you based on your experience. And they mean something to me based on my experience. And uh, they're not exactly the same. So this t- is
1: I mean this ties into all kinds of philosophical issues too. I mean the concept of how we how we can communicate one idea that we have this idea of of having a thought it being translated into a language and then being transmitted and then being absorbed by the other person and uh being translated into another thought this is something that Philosophers of language have struggled with pretty heavily, for sure, all through the 20th century. I mean, that's a big question: what, you know, how these things can be translated. Uh, uh, and, Wittgenstein, uh, in particular,
0: I think it's a good example where the technology is actually going to teach us something that we didn't know before about ourselves as we as we approach the limits. Yeah, there's but nothing that,
1: I, like technology actually getting into philosophical territory like that when you can you can see something actually happening that right. can seemed like it. it was only theoretical.
0: Yeah, you can test it. You know, the, uh, the, I said that there was, I thought you were partly on the right track. and partly. Then I went
1: not, off, then I went not, off.
0: Well, no, no, it just, it's just, <laughs> when you talk about cha- changing all the connections kind of globally and having side effects, I mean, it's just like any kind of drug, right? Any, any sort of, for example, pharmaceutical drugs that you take for depression, for example. Prozac, you know, it has these uh, serotonin enhancing aspects. Serotonin does a lot of stuff in the mm-hmm. brain. It can help make you less depressed, but it also has lots of other side effects like sleep impacts. And side effects are, are something that we already are, are dealing with whenever we try to do something to our brains.
1: Well, and you can consciously choose to be on Prozac and be aware of some of the kinds of changes that it makes to your brain. But if you're talking about limiting cases where you, you know, you get to the point where you say, Okay, who has time to learn French or who has time to learn all the interesting stuff in the world? Just build that into me. And all of those neural connections get changed. It's the sort of swiftness of it and the the extent of it. In those cases, that would just be
0: absolutely the biggest problem. We're we're totally running this experiment on ourselves right now, as 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 a global society. I mean, we're producing so much access to information and so much stimulation at all times, twenty four seven.
1: So you Um, think it's happening?
0: It's absolutely happening. Yeah, we have no idea what's going to do to us. We have no idea what it has done to us. You know. We're certainly not the same species that we were 20 years ago. We were globally connected; the whole world, you know, societies that had no idea about other parts of the world, no, no reason to care. You know, 50 years ago, there's. It's not possible. It's really almost not possible to live that way anymore.
1: I would be hesitant to call that the same thing, though, because
0: it's just. It's just. A, it's not the same thing. It's. It's definitely definitely quantitatively different now well you question.
1: experience in order to in order to absorb all the information out in the world you still have to rely on you know traditional ways that your brain is working to process information and it has to happen in real time it um, does be working on you know a greater amount of sensory input but that's different than tinkering with actual connections in the brain without any corresponding input
0: when it comes to the question of free will, though, I, I, that's where I start to wonder how different it really is. How much control do you really have over these stimuli? So you can say, well, I can turn on the TV, or I don't have to turn on the TV. I can Google this thing, or I don't have to Google it. But really? Do you have that? Do you have that? I mean, you, you, if you want your body to exist in the future, you sort of don't have that choice. Uh, there are only so many ways to to get by in the society that we live in. You have to do these, you have to take in these inputs to have a job, you know, to make money, to get by, to get from A to B. And so, you know, in some ways, we're we're building this connected, super information rich, super information dense network system into our everyday lives. And we don't have a choice. I, f- I feel like uh,
1: I've already I think I've already come to peace with the idea that I don't have free will in the sense that maybe most people come to appreciate the term. I would be more concerned with the rapid changing of self identity that I would be comfortable in saying in saying that strings are being pulled, but they've always been but they've always been pulled that we're we're not always directly we don't always directly know the causes of our actions but the thing that that i that disturbs me is thinking about a really rapid change in my subjective experience so fast that i think i would you know you could rapidly change into a totally different person such that your experience is no longer continuous
0: yep yeah i want to think about the question of what would be good, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. It's always such a struggle and I never really feel super comfortable that I'm making progress whenever I go down this road, but it seems ever er, er, more and more important every time we engage in one of these types of conversations uh, about the future of technologies. What would be good? What would we want it to do? And can we push things in that direction? Yeah,
1: I think that, I feel like that, That is what I appreciate about Elon Musk, actually, is he seems to be thinking in this way of considering how much we can influence larger issues of how the future is going to work.
0: Do you think he's really doing it because he cares? Or do you think that he's doing that because he knows it's good PR? I mean, in the Silicon Valley sense, right? Silicon Valley, (laughs) always like to talk about how this is helping people. And at the end of the day...
1: Right, building a world, building a better world through cloud-based solutions to information um, network gathering.
0: Right. Building a better world through more rapid advertising. IT protocol, (laughs) right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. you, You just want to make fucking money and... Go to cool parties. I mean,
1: I, f- I I I don't want to read too much into the psychology of Elon Musk. I guess, but I do feel as though he's got billions of dollars already. He probably spent a good amount of time just trying to get lots of money. Maybe getting more money isn't as meaningful a goal as thinking about some of these bigger issues and putting his money to work in the same way that you know Bill Gates has. So many philanthropic philanthropic pursuits. I think Elon Musk's philanthropic pursuit is trying to nudge the future in a way that seems positive.
0: Yep. Uh, I, I I'm not I'm not sure. I don't think and I don't think that uh...
1: <laughs> there's something there's something there's something a little sad that the people who get to decide which direction our futures go are the mega-billionaires who have, who are the only ones who have the ability to engage in that as kind of a leisure pursuit.
0: Great. Do you, do you think he – this is a question of free will. Let's get back to the free will thing. Do you mm-hmm. think he really has control of that? I mean, in other words, I guess my question was, is he doing it for, for altruistic reasons or not? And then the question is, is that even the right question? Is that even a thing? In other words, he's doing it because he wants to do it. Now, why does he want to do it? You know, what does that even mean to ask the question? Yeah, it's a rabbit hole. It's
1: ultimately ultimately hard to say. Um, He wants, you know, it's the paradox of altruism, I guess, that you can never necessarily attribute motivation to certain acts.
0: And certainly his explicit goal is, in the meantime, to support all these activities with profitable businesses that have artifacts along the way that are are themselves profitable. And, of course, that's the part of the journey that he's going to be experiencing and benefiting from, Uh, assuming we don't get to the singularity before he dies.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, maybe he gets some benefit of the doubt for trying to aim things towards... Uh, reduced carbon emissions and things that seem generally good I where, give him where the they question. don't seem like it would it doesn't seem like it would be the way to a quickest
0: profit, but right, I give him points for making a really cool car mm-hmm I mean that's something right away you can say for sure. he made a cool car that's there for sure
1: and he's making rockets, yeah, and digging holes in the ground,
0: yep, yep, I believe in holes in the ground also. I think, I think, uh, underground trains or whatever the heck, hyperloops, whatever you want them, however you want them to get around. But yeah, moving around underground makes sense for sure.
1: I feel the, I feel like the waters are a little more muddied around the Neuralink stuff though.
0: Yeah. It's I mean, the, the long-term really goals is wrong to me. Uh, the short-term wins, the, I feel like there's some, there's some pretty clear short-term wins, you know, h- helping people who are, Paralyzed move helping people who are blind see uh, helping people who are severely severely mentally dis- you know distressed in different ways all of that makes sense to me and it's they're all good areas and rich areas of research and, and development
1: well there's no technology that can 't be used for some kind of evil though so and this one seems like a particularly um, dystopian laden <laughs> technology, right?
0: But, well, yeah, let's get into it. What could be worse than
1: it. having brains controlled?
0: Well, as soon as this is put it this Fully. way as soon as you get the input output loop hooked up to the brain, so you've got a, an electrode that's sending impulses in and you've got electrodes that are receiving impulses out, now you can control that person. You can do stuff to them. Even the most rudimentary stuff could be pretty damaging. And, yeah, and it's
1: okay, total control. The there's no possible there's no possible greater control that you could have.
0: Yeah. And who's who's controlling that network? Like who's the network engineer? Like right now, Neuralink is hiring IT team leads, IT support specialists, you know, process engineer. These, are, engineer. these
1: could be our overlords of the yeah. future.
0: The IT team lead at Neuralink, who is Previous supervisor or lead experience required while still being extremely comfortable with tactical day-to-day. Manage administrator access to all systems while improving efficiencies and redundancies. Manage well, administrator access to all systems. When those systems are in your brain, this jackass IT lead, I know, I mean, we, I, we, these are people we worked with. You think about the IT people that you worked with. Do you want them? Uh, having managing administrator access to all your systems your this is pers- where this
1: this is where the dystopian future goes is towards admin access who gets yeah, admin exactly. access to your brain
0: Totally. seems that, like an
1: episode of black mirror in there somewhere
0: right 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 who's controlling who gets in and out, and then who's that weird weird dude in the truck you know controlling uh the stalker dude right you know and like yeah, there's all kinds. It's
1: not of even a. It's not even a bloodthirsty dictator. It's just a.
0: Uh, right, it's, it's some random some, IT dude.
1: Some IT guy.
0: Yeah. Who happens to know, uh, Okta, Jamf, AD, AWS, <laughs> Juniper gear, and is comfortable using Slack and Zoom. Yep. You know, it's just some random dude. <laughs> Yeah, that's where it gets yeah, I think I mean that when Elon Musk says, you know, that oh, it's just when you will it, that's all dependent on system level access controls, right? So it's like all right, Rolf gets will level access mm-hmm. to, to my brain. <laughs> uh some other person gets only, you know, uh, you know, you have to knock first or whatever. Yeah, I don't see that working out well at all. Whew. But I mean, I think that yeah, I think this one is so easy so obviously it goes wrong so obviously so fast it's almost not even as fun to think about as as robots taking over. Because...
1: Well it does seem like Elon Musk, how do you how do you do electric cars right and do rockets right and then just also do brains right?
0: Right. I I feel like you happen
1: well, to get all of the complex issues around that right at the same time.
0: I have that sense where when engineers start getting interested in neuroscience, things go badly, generally. Mm-hmm. Like, remember the Redwood Institute thing?
1: What was the Redwood Institute?
0: So that's the, you know, remember the guy Hawking who wrote On Intelligence?
1: Mm, I don't know if I do.
0: Oh, you should read the book. Um, Jeff Hawkins, some rich dude engineering type, wrote this book On Intelligence, How Understanding the Brain Will Lead to the Creation of Truly Intelligent Machines in 2005. Mm -hmm. And he's... oh, Okay, he created the Palm Pilot. It's the man who created the Palm Pilot Trio smartphone and other handheld devices that...
1: I had a Palm Pilot.
0: ...got absolutely destroyed by, by, by the iPhone. He now stands ready to revolutionize both the neuroscience and computing with one stroke, a new understanding of intelligence itself. He wrote this book in 2005. That I feel was... like it's
1: maybe not a one-stroke thing.
0: Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. He wrote this book in 2005. He started the Redwood Institute. I mean, some really smart people. But anyway, yeah, the point was, you know, using this new understanding of uh, how the brain works to, to basically build smarter machines. It kind of gets into this brain-computer interface thing and all that stuff. At the end of the day, it's like an engineering-type guy. Mm-hmm. wrote a cool book. It's a little more accessible when you read their thoughts on it. If you're if you're coming out from someone who didn't doesn't know much about neuroscience, right? It's a little more accessible, right? So like you know when they explain it, it makes it makes more sense. And then because they're engineers, everybody believes that they can do anything, and it usually just doesn't go anywhere at all because so it's just way more complicated than any of the problems they've been thinking about. Yeah, it's more sh- way more fucking complicated than shooting a rocket to and going to Mars way more complicated like so much more complicated like understanding yeah, i feel like one, more of the, complicated. one of the one of the
1: one of the pathways that people might go down is to say things like well look at how look at how much faster computers have gotten in the past 50 years or so we can't even imagine how how much the bandwidth of our brain computer interfaces are going to increase in the next 50 years And that sort of seems along the, you know, we couldn't imagine the iPhone 20 years ago. We couldn't imagine all of the technological marvels that we have now. Therefore, in 20 years, our brain-computer interfaces are going to be so advanced, we couldn't even begin to think about how and i think the problem with that is that there are, there are there are plenty of examples that you can use about technology advancing in unexpected ways but there are also plenty of examples of technology that never appeared we don't have anti-gravity boots right now right maybe we understand a little bit more about why we don't have them but we don't have faster than light engines right now there are lots of technologies that we don't have and just because we've seen technological advances in the past doesn't mean that this is an inevitable, this is an inevitable sweep.
0: Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. That was a great conversation, Rolf. I really enjoyed it. Uh, We got into some different topics related to how our brains can be hooked up to the machines, what the potential future of that is, why we are skeptical about the ultimate vision of Neuralink, but, are excited about some of the potential short-term and intermediate-term wins that we can get by building brain-computer interfaces that can help people.
1: And obviously plenty of more things to discuss and things that people might be thinking of, uh, but thanks for listening.